Hello everyone in internet and TV land. Welcome to the presentation on building resilient, scalable IoT workloads with the AWS IoT Core. I am Rudy Chetty and I'm a solutions architect for AWS. And let's take a look at our agenda. Well, we'll start with a refresher on the AWS IoT Core. We'll go into an integration example. We'll then dive into a use case by Amazon Key for Business, along with an actual demo. We'll give you a summary and then wrap up with some resources that you can check out after the video. So let's get into it. So to understand what AWS IoT uh, offers, you have to understand what is the AWS IoT core. And you have all these things in the fields or devices, and they need to connect into something on the AWS platform. In this case, it's the AWS IoT core, and they're sending messages continually to this particular service. From there, you can route them to other AWS services, whether it's AWS Lambda, Kinesis, or even Amazon Elasticsearch. You can also republish messages. So if you needed to do some conversion between, say, Celsius and Fahrenheit, you can do that and then republish to the AWS IoT Core itself. Now, the core, if we kind of expand into it, has these features, the identity service, device gateway, and so forth. And let's kind of touch upon each one of them. So we'll start with the identity service. Now what this does is it allows your devices to authenticate to the AWS IoT Core with X509 certificates. Now if you've never looked at one before, this is an example of a certificate. Obviously it's, uh, it's kind of trimmed for brevity, but you can see that the certificate uh, is kind of obfuscated in a way that it's not replaceable or reproducible. You can also connect with signature version four even token-based authentication. So your devices have plenty of options when connecting to this particular service. And that being the AWS IoT Core. Now to give you an example of using the command line interface, this is an example here of creating keys and a certificate. We've even put in the values that you can put in so that you can generate them with certain names. In this case, we've called them certainly and you can see that we've got the uh, PEM files being generated and the public keys as well. You can also look at IoT policies. So once your device uh, authenticates, you know, what is it authorized to do in AWS IoT? So that's where policies come in. And if you've ever looked at uh, identity and access management policies, these are very similar in that they're JSON-based documents that allow you to authorize or deny access to certain parts of the AWS IoT core in this case. We also allow you to use services like Amazon Cognito. Now, Amazon Cognito allows you to separate your users, your end users, and your infrastructure users logically. You can also federate to existing identity stores and so forth. So now that we've connected our device, you know, how do we kind of go from there? Well, we use the device gateway. So we've got our thing sitting on the left and our device gateway, and it opens up a bi-directional long-lived connection. What that means is you can send data to the device and the device can send data to the device gateway. And it does that over several protocols. In this case, MQTT, WebSockets, or HTTP. MQTT being messaging, queuing, telemetry, transport, and it's a much smaller payload than HTTP, so it allows you to stream more updates more frequently. This connection is also secured by a TLS 1.2, so that's a, a protocol that's the sequel to SSL, and if you have devices that are using an older one, we recommend that you upgrade to the more recent uh, version, which is 1.2. 
Now, as we go along, we've connected our devices, sending messages, thinking, well, how do we route those messages accordingly? Well, we use the message broker. In this case, it makes use of a, a IoT topic and you're actually given some out of the box. So you've given reserved ones and you can use wildcards. The reserved topics start with $AWS and wildcards could be an asterisk or even a hash sign. Now they operate on a publish subscribe model. So you can see here, the thing in this case, uh, it looks like a kettle is uh, brewing coffee. And in this, in this instance, it publishes one message and you've got multiple subscribers who are looking to say, well, I wanna know when the coffee's ready so I can go and make a cup. And the PubSub model works on a one-to-many, which allows you to publish one message and receive that message along multiple subscribers. Uh, you also have access to offline queuing. So if the connection between uh, these particular devices and the AWS IoT core is disrupted, you can queue those messages so that you don't lose them. We also have support for QoS 0 and 1. What that stands for is quality of service. Now 0 is when you deliver the message 0 1 times, and 1 is when you deliver it 1 or more times. Now we don't support QoS 2, which is exactly once, but we do have something coming up which helps mitigate that issue. So we've sent the messages through now, and we're thinking, well, we want to route them accordingly. We make use of an IoT rule and that is a data transformation paired with an action. Now, the data transformation is very kind of uh, familiar to those of you familiar with SQL, is it's a select statement. So you can see select star from topic uh, slash XYZ where the temperature is greater than 35. In this case, it's probably 35 uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, for where I'm, where I'm from in South Africa, it's probably 35 degrees Celsius. Now that message gets sent through and we select it out or pull it out and we can perform uh, you know, mathematical functions on it right out of the box. In this case, if we were converting between Fahrenheit and Celsius, we can do that using these built-in functions. We can also uh, do string manipulation, uh, date formatting and so forth. We can also enrich it. So if we wanted to say geotag a location onto it, we can run a Lambda function in response to this select statement and then say, okay, well, I've got this temperature, but I wanna know where it came from. And then you can put it into that particular value before you pass it on to the action. And you can see here with the actions themselves, the messages can either be republished as we mentioned earlier, or they can be routed to other AWS services. In this case, you can see uh, AWS Lambda, S3, Amazon DynamoDB. You even have access to third-party services like Salesforce. Now, as we go along, uh, I mentioned with the QoS uh, version two, or sorry, QoS two, is we don't support that because we support a very reduced MQTT 3.11 protocol. But, you know, obviously we wanna offer customers options. We give you the device shadow as a way to actually mitigate that. And what the device shadow is, is a logical representation of state. So your device is sending its state to the cloud and the cloud is replicating that and saying, well, I know what the state of the device is based on this uh, device shadow. Uh, so you can see your thing here on the left, it's sending messages and you can send it to the device shadow and an application interacting with it can likewise read from the shadow itself. So it doesn't have to go to the device. And you saw that we had a different state going through from the right to the left. So from the application through the device shadow and to the thing. 
what that means is that the application is saying, well, I know that's the current state, but I wanna change that state. So I'm gonna actually say, this is what I want you to change it to. But it's kind of fun to see it as more of an example. So, uh, oh, actually, you know what? It looks like our thing has been disrupted. Um, I mean, does that mean we lose access to the device? No, actually we don't. Because of the SDKs and APIs, we can still interact with that device shadow and not actually um, rely on whether the device is up or not. And that allows your applications to not be disrupted in any form. But like I said, we're gonna look at an example. In this case, you can see several different uh, portions to this JSON-based document. The first one to look at is right in the middle there, the reported, and that's what the device is reporting to the cloud. So in this case, the color is red, and that's what it's reporting to the device shadow. But say, you know, application wants to change it to blue. That's where we set the desired state. So once we set the desired state, that goes to the device shadow, and then from there to the actual device, and then it'll update itself, and it'll report back that it's changed its state to blue. The other part to mention is the metadata portion. And you can see here is the timestamp of when that particular change was performed, and also a version, and that's pretty important because if you wanna guarantee order, excuse me, you can look at uh, the particular version. And in this case, it's uh, 769, so the next version number would be most likely 770. Now, the last thing to mention on the AWS IoT Core or the feature lists that uh, fall under it is the registry. And you're probably thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to start with one device and uh, get that up and running, maybe two, three, ten, ten thousand, you know, twenty thousand, a million. I mean, it's going to get pretty uh, difficult to search through your devices to find the one that you're looking for. So we introduced the device registry. You can see I've said we've got several devices. Uh, and it just keeps piling up and trying to isolate them is pretty difficult. So with the registry, what you can do is assign thing types. So in this case, we've got a bulb thing type. So any bulbs that come through, we can assign them that thing type. And in the other case, it's a blood pressure machine and we've assigned a relevant thing type there too. What you can also do is go one further and group devices. In this case, we've created a transportation group. Uh, for a plane, a bicycle, and a, a car. And you can also run jobs against these uh, groups. In this case, you wanna find out the location of all of those devices. You can create a device, or sorry, a job that goes to all these devices and you run it once against all of them to say, you know, what's the location of that device at that particular time. But you know what, customers asked us for even more and I'm gonna give you a bonus slide here, the AWS IoT uh, Greengrass service that we have. So customers said, well, we love the functionality that you have on the cloud. Is there any way to extend that to the edge? And this is where we introduced uh, AWS IoT Greengrass. And what it does is it allows you to do local messaging uh, and have triggers that uh, can be triggered as well. So if you've got thing A and thing B and they need to communicate with each other, usually you'd go through the cloud. But again, if that connection has been severed, you still wanna have that functionality. So with Greengrass, you can send a message from thing A to your Greengrass core and that gets routed to B and then you know B's got its message, there you go. You also get access to local actions. So what that means is if you have a device that's connected uh, to this IoT or AWS IoT Greengrass core, you can effect an action on it based on 
uh, any number of variables. In this case, let's say the temperature on thing A has spiked and we want to turn on the fan. So that message goes through to the AWS IoT Greengrass core, a Lambda function gets invoked, and the fan turns on to help cool you off. We also have data and state sync. So you can send data to the IoT Greengrass core constantly, but maybe late at night is when you want to actually sync it. And then at 8 p.m. you say, you know what, I'm going to send it up uh, to the AWS IoT core, and that allows you to you know, aggregate all the data and send it in one go versus sending multiple updates. Uh, we also have you know, built in the same built-in security that you're used to, the TLS 1.2, uh, we've got encryption, and it's the same level of security you're used to with many of the other AWS services that we provide, so that, such that only authorized and uh, uh, you know, users that have been authenticated or services, or in this case, things, uh, have access to your Greengrass core. Uh, you also have local resource access. Uh, what that is, is if you have devices that are connected, so in this case a hard drive or even low-level GPIO pins, you can actually uh, connect to those through your core and perform actions on them. So whether it's reading a file from the hard drive or turning on a sensor that's connected via GPIO pin, you can do that. Uh, you know what, this is one of my favorite options or uh, things here, it's machine learning. I mean, it's a very hot topic, uh, but at the same time, we've got access to machine learning services through the AWS IoT Greengrass core. And what you can do is train your models using uh, SageMaker, our machine learning service. Uh, you can export those and then run them on your Greengrass core. Even better, if you have a GPU or graphics processing unit connected to your core, you gain access to it. Uh, and you can use that to supplement your machine learning workloads. Uh, we also have various connectors. In this case, you've got uh, AWS service connectors and third parties. So whether it's ServiceNow or Twilio, you can connect to them using Greengrass connectors right out of the box. Uh, and that allows you to not only extend your functionality, but maybe you have an existing service that's utilizing one of these third parties, and now you can port it over to your Greengrass core using a connector. And over-the-air updates. I mean, you know, this is something that most people who have smartphones are used to. You know, sometimes you'll see it says update available and you have to click uh, install or decline. And in this case, we offer that piece of functionality with the AWS IoT Greengrass core. And if the update goes through, you can see, okay, it's installing. And cool, Bob's your uncle, you know, we've succeeded. Uh, if it doesn't succeed, it is failover that's built in and you can stream these updates over MQTT, which is, I suppose, very useful because uh, that's an easy way of getting them to the Greengrass core in this case. But you know what, again, we've been talking about this for a while, let's go into the examples. I mean, that's the, the fun bit that you've been waiting for. So let's look at an integration example. In this case, uh, we'll go through an architecture and you can see that I've got a very uh, handsome gentleman here who's had his face indexed in the Amazon recognition service. Uh, so it's available to, to kind of run against videos or uh, images to see if that face is in a particular video or picture. And then we've got a camera connected to a Raspberry Pi, which again is sending a video stream to Amazon Kinesis video streams. That in turn is sending that video to Amazon recognition. Uh, to see whether that face exists in any particular video or any of the frames. From there, if 
uh, record is found or if it isn't found either, uh, it goes to Amazon Kinesis data streams. So if a record's found, it says, look, I found this face. And then you want to think, well, how do I, I perform something on that? Well, you use a Lambda function. And then from there, you can output to an Amazon S3 bucket to say this face was found in this particular frame or this particular video. And then you can visualize it using something like Amazon QuickSight. You know, and this is a very, uh, uh, I'd say, uh, used architecture for video stream uh, recognition. And you're probably wondering, well, where does AWS IoT come in? Well, it's right here on the left-hand side. We can actually um, bundle up the camera and the Raspberry Pi as a thing and then connect into the AWS IoT core. Or better yet, we can actually use AWS IoT Greengrass and create that as a core itself such that you can use over-the-air updates, all those uh, local uh, access that I mentioned. So you'd have access to the camera because it's connected to the Pi. And then from there, you can see how we've gone from a, a standard video streaming architecture to integrating AWS IoT or even AWS IoT Greengrass into that architecture. Well, next up is, you know, Amazon Key for Business. And for those of you who don't know, um, you know, what, what, what do they do? Well, Amazon Key for Business uh, is a it's a company that kind of, uh, or not company, it's a, it's a part of Amazon that helps with uh, delivering packages from your source to your destination. And if you're wondering what problem they were trying to solve, it's that last mile that they have where your package goes from the driver to your front door, if not your gate, or even the uh, assigned area in your apartment complex that uh, you can deliver to. And what they found is in most of these complexes, you know, it's gated or it's security controlled. So when they're trying to deliver the package, they go, oh, cool, oh, sorry, it's locked. And then the, d the delivery associate has to either leave it in an insecure location, or maybe they, you know, sitting there going, well, I have to attempt a re-delivery. And all of those add up over time because uh, we couldn't get all of the customer maybe, or like I said, it's, you know, access controlled. So, you know, the Last Mile team went about solving this in the way of introducing Amazon Key for Business. And, they went about a prototype phase, and what they did there is, instead of searching the web for all these pieces of hardware they could use, they went straight to the AWS Partner Device Catalog. And what that is is a, a curated list of devices that run uh, or that are qualified to run with the AWS IoT Core, if not run Greengrass or Amazon FreeRTOS. And Amazon FreeRTOS being the uh, Amazon-flavored version of free RTS or free real-time operating system, uh, which offers AWS cloud libraries. So you can integrate directly into AWS using the uh, extended libraries. It also has library, local library access. So you can connect to Greengrass cores, uh, Wi-Fi, even Bluetooth low energy or Bluetooth itself. And you know the team kind of sat there and said, well, we want to use something that's out of the box. And they decided they want to look for something that supports Amazon free RTOS. Uh, they even wanted uh, access to the security features that come with it, as I mentioned, the TLS 1.2 and the over-the-air updates, or OTA, so that they could update these devices uh, in a very easy and reproducible fashion. Uh, they went one further and they found an actual board, in this case, the Curiosity board, and they picked it specifically because they could add on to this board. Uh, they added on cellular connectivity to double-check whether uh, they could connect to the device uh, apart from Wi-Fi, it also had uh, Bluetooth functionality, and you know they could connect a building access controller. 
And what that is, is it's the system that's connected into the building uh, that allows these particular gates, whether it's the, the gate at the uh, front entrance or it's your uh, sliding garage door uh, for your cars to drive through. And it allows you to open and close those using this building access controller. So that's why they, choose, they chose this particular board. Now, Amazon Key for Business itself, how do they go about um, you know, pairing that with uh, something that would be useful for drivers? Well, they used the Amazon Flex app and they paired it with what they call a smart fob. So I don't know if uh, most of you should be familiar with a fob, but it's a little piece of, um, uh, let's say, plastic that could be an RFID tag and you can swipe it in your building such that you can enter uh, after it's authenticated that you are uh, someone who's authorized to enter it. And for the flex piece, uh, what it is, is it's a, a, well, it's a service that we offer where customers or delivery associates can sign up and they can deliver for Amazon uh, kind of at their leisure. So they have a flexible schedule and they thought, well, you know what, since we already have this app, let's provide the perimeter access uh, to drivers using this particular application. And you can see there in the screenshot, you've got um, two buttons there for unlocking the front door and the elevator. Uh, the smart fob itself, um, they built one after they went through the prototyping phase and you know it integrated with 98% of uh, physical access control systems and those are the ones that I mentioned where they connect into your, your buildings and they allow you to access certain areas using uh, fobs. Uh, it was secured by AWS IoT. Um, it, as I mentioned, it's running Amazon FreeRTOS and in that case, you had access to all the libraries that we mentioned and the TLS 1.2 with you know, encryption where you need it. Uh, and it was cost effective. I mean, you know, uh, it was about, I think, $75 uh, per device, which uh, kind of scales out pretty nicely such that you can uh, go one further and say, you know what, we're gonna install this into existing uh, buildings so that have existing packs and there's no impact on the existing residents. So if, you, if someone has access uh, before the device has been put in and they have, uh, they will still have access once the smart fob has been installed, uh, which is pretty impactful in the sense that uh, you, don't, you don't affect existing residents and you also open it up for the delivery associates to uh, improve the lives or improve the deliveries uh, of packages to uh, residents themselves. And you know what, it wouldn't be complete if we don't show you an architecture diagram, so let's go into that. Uh, we've got our residential or <clears throat> commercial property. Uh, in this case, we've got the smart fob installed along with running Amazon FreeRTOS. Uh, that connects into our AWS IoT core uh, via MQTT topics and also directs messages using an IoT rule. Uh, we've got the delivery associate who's uh, got his nice little Amazon badge there coming in and uh, this person is using the smartphone application uh, running Amazon Flex. Uh, that goes in once they've pushed the button to an Amazon API gateway, which is a RESTful uh, API service we have on Amazon, on, sorry, on AWS. That then calls a Lambda function, which interacts with the, de the device or the smart fob uh, through those topics that we mentioned where you can have bi-directional communication. Uh, we also have a DynamoDB uh, database which is storing uh, particular data for that, whether it's the, you know, which building it is, when the access was granted and so forth. 
and then you go into uh, a data pipeline which puts everything into Redshift so that uh, your BI uh, folks are all happy such that they can run uh, business intelligence reports and perform analysis on data sets. And one more thing to mention is that uh, because of the, the uh, I'd say the feature-rich product um, or AWS services that we have, uh, the team decided to use AWS IoT analytics such that they could just you know, route the data accordingly and then perform analytics uh, using that service which comes out of the box. So that's Amazon Key for Business. And you know what, it's always fun to see a demo. So uh, let's click through and uh, play that video. So what were the highlights of using AWS IoT for this particular workload? Well, the team said that it was fast, it was seamless, they had secure communication between their devices and the AWS IoT core, so they could guarantee you know, the safety of data uh, going across the channels. They used device management and monitoring. What that means is they could monitor uh, all the devices in the field and they could manage them with over their updates or if they needed to patch them or take a device out of rotation, you know, if something uh, happened with that device. Uh, it reduced the dev cycle on the embedded device in the sense that uh, they could get a device up and running in about three months and maybe in nine months they would actually have a production-ready device. And that's thanks to the partner device catalog and the support of Amazon FreeRTOS. Uh, and the over-the-air solution. So as I mentioned, the over-the-air updates are uh, something that they took advantage of such that they didn't have to have you know people in those buildings send the devices back to them so they could update them or you know so they could just do it over the air. And data collection, as I mentioned, the usage of AWS IoT analytics and even Redshift, um, you know, out-of-the-box integration that they didn't have to go in and build themselves, and it made it a lot easier to get the data they needed and perform useful analytics on it. So we've just talked about Amazon Key for Business, but let's go into another example using AWS IoT Greengrass. Now, what we have here is a smart warehouse. So think of it as either a fulfillment center or a warehouse where you're performing functions that uh, require access to the cloud. So in this case, we've got a secret warehouse gadget thing. It's a very technical term for something that is not shareable under NDA. Uh, that's connecting into AWS IoT Greengrass. So we've got a core running in the actual warehouse itself. And that connects in uh, bi-directionally to the AWS IoT core. So it's sending messages uh, to the core and the core is responding accordingly. And that's being monitored using Amazon CloudWatch. So again, we're getting useful metrics, uh, we're checking out KPIs and whatnot. And then from there, we're also redirecting or directing uh, data via an IoT rule to Amazon S3. And the reason we're doing that is so that we always have a record of what happened at that particular time. Uh, so we're storing it for historic purposes. Uh, we also have a Lambda function which connects in uh, to the AWS IoT core, and that allows us to connect to backend services that might not be uh, as cloud-enabled as we'd like. Uh, we also have the uh, Greengrass core calling into API Gateway. 
and that allows us to call Lambda functions in the background and go to Amazon SNS or simple notification service. So say uh, you know a package goes out and we wanna send a message or send an SMS message to a customer to say, hey, uh, this has actually been shipped out to you. We can use that particular uh, service to do that. So Amazon SNS supports SMS or short message service. So enough talk, we've come to the demo portion of our presentation. So let me take out my little friend here. So we've got uh, an ESP32 here connected to AWS IoT Core. Uh, you can see that we've got some green LEDs uh, to show you that uh, you know there's at least a state change. I also have uh, IoT Enterprise one-click button. What that allows you to do is kind of get connected with the AWS IoT Core uh, very quickly in the sense that you can uh, press the button It'll connect to the AWS IoT Core and then call a Lambda function to perform a particular action. In this case, I'm gonna push the button and it's gonna change the color of the LEDs. So let me try that. I'll push it once and uh, let's set it down here and see what happens. Hmm, I wonder if the Wi-Fi is behaving. Well, looks like the Wi-Fi is still connecting. Let's try that one more time. Okay, well, looks like the device has changed and sent the signal through. And there you go, we've changed the LEDs to red in this particular case. I'll try it one more time to see if we can get a blue color going. It's a very festive color, it matches my uh, purple shirt. Oh, and we've got blue as well. There you go. So, you know, that's that's the demo. But you know what? Again, we want to make sure that you have all the, the pieces to the puzzle. So let's switch back and look at the actual architecture for this demo. Now we're starting on the left-hand side here with the AWS IoT button. Uh, that's the one I showed you that uh, allows you to connect into the one-click service and call Lambda functions. Now, as we click the button, that goes to AWS IoT one-click and via an IoT rule, we go to AWS Lambda. Now to give you an example here or kind of illustrate is that uh, we're actually recording the type of click. In this case, the single, the double, and the long click, which are the three types of clicks that come with these IoT buttons. And I've assigned uh, different actions such that it will change the color accordingly, uh, depending on the click type. Uh, we then go to the AWS IoT Core because we want to call back into the ESP32, which is connected to our LED strip. And we're saying, well, I want to change the state or change the color of those LEDs. And in this case, it's the desired state. So we say, okay, well, I want to change the color to green. So we send that desired state through, the LED strip changes to green. And then you think, well, that's the end of it. It's like, nope, not just yet you need to report back from that device that the state has changed. So we actually report from the ESP32 back to the AWS IoT Core that the state has been affected uh, so that we know not to send that state again. And yeah, that's the demo architecture and you can see how we've integrated two IoT devices via the AWS IoT Core. And you know, thanks for joining us in this presentation. Uh, hopefully you've learned a lot about the uh, AWS IoT Core. 
And in this case, you'll see how you can connect multiple things to your AWS IoT core, whether they're running the SDKs, using APIs, uh, running Amazon Free RTOS in the Amazon Key for Business example, or even you know an AWS IoT Greengrass core uh, that that also can connect into your AWS IoT core. And as a, a you know closing or a parting gift. I'm gonna show you some resources that you can dive into after this course so that you can uh, learn even more. We've got the partner device catalog listed there, um, two IoT All The Things uh, episodes, uh, which talk with various customers. And then we've also got uh, another presentation on IoT building blocks, uh, the Thing device shadow, and even a workshop using Arduino where you can connect a ESP32 to the AWS IoT core uh, push a button on it and then actually send yourself an SMS message. So once again, from uh, myself, Rudy here in Seattle, uh, thank you for joining us and uh, have fun on your reInvent journey.